On this episode of the Cinema Syndicate Podcast, we have a very special guest on at Neon Taster on Twitter, Mr. Noam Bloom, and he's here to discuss the feature film, The Cabin in the Woods. But before we do that, we give our marquee picks for our favorite monsters in cinema and TV, and then we spin the wheel for fun. So listen up and have some fun. Let's go. Welcome to the Cinema Syndicate Podcast, the movie review show that's given its hot takes all the way from the East Coast to the West Coast. As always, I'm joined by Mr. Preston Barnes in the West Coast. How are you doing, Preston? Right on, fellas. Doing well. And we're moving along to Mr. Joseph Fine in the middle of America, right in the heartland, but also down south in New Orleans. How are you doing, Joe? Coming to you live from the dirty coast. How are you guys? <laughs> and we're moving on to uh, Mr. Budge Husky. How are you doing, Budge, in Washington, D.C.? Doing well, lads. Doing well. Uh, and I'm Matthew Scott, as always. And tonight, we have a very, very special guest. You might know him as Neon Taster from Twitter, but his real name is Mr. Noam Bloom from Washington, D.C. He's joined us tonight. We're going to talk about Cabin in the Woods. How you doing, Noam? Hey, fellas. What's going on? I know. You got a second person from Washington, D.C. Kind of, It's kind of lame, right? You want to have like a fifth. Like, <laughs> oh, and now we have a new place with us tonight. I know. It makes it sound sure like you guys are you guys are potting together. <laughs> yeah, you guys aren't friends, actually. So, like, we actually kind of have to make it sound like you're maybe possibly friends. Maybe <laughs> after this episode, you become best friends and you start potting together at Starbucks or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but tonight, we're going to do Cabin in the Woods. But before we get started, we always like to encourage all of our listeners to please go on iTunes and give us five star rating. It really, really helps us out. If you enjoyed the show, of course, and you really, really like what we have to say and think it's entertaining and funny and really interesting, or whatever, please go and give us a five star review. Uh, before we get into Cabin in the Woods, which is a very, very fun and entertaining movie, we always like to do our top three picks, which we call our marquee picks. Tonight, we're doing our top three favorite monsters. So favorite, not best, favorite monsters in cinema or TV history. And we're going to let our special guest, Mr. Noam Bloom, kick it off. So your top three monsters, Noam, go for it. Okay, so uh, at number three, even though this is probably a lot of people's number ones, and I assume that maybe one of you is going to want to talk about it more i'm gonna go with uh with the the xenomorph from alien right Ooh. obviously because like how can you not but i'm gonna I'll, I'll like clear the lane for someone else to talk about that <laughs> cool. um because like i said because you, you know what are you gonna say like uh there's there there are a lot of like biggie monsters right and so uh, obviously a lot of people are gonna have overlaps or whatever. anyway so my number two is uh uh I, i'm gonna go with the terminator but specifically the t1000 from t2 Okay. Uh, for the nice. for the specific reason that uh, I think it's a perfect I don't know if people discuss this enough but like it's a perfect escalation of threat over the Terminator in the first one because now you've got like the it's it's capabilities are like upped to yeah. to one you know like to a higher level and also the victim is like in a in a worse situation 
We all had an English teacher in high school who thought, like, when he turned into sort of, what do you want to say, like, metallic bubbles or whatever, he thought mm-hmm. that was, like, the perfect cinematic experience. He's, like, he was just in awe of James Cameron's movie making. Like, and no, and, and if anything, James Cameron has the perfect ability to accentualize, uh, what do you want to say, visuals, if anything. But, I mean, he's, he's, he's fantastic at what he does. He might not be, like, the Oscar-winning story writer or whatever, but he's incredibly at pushing the bar, as South Park said, in terms of creating visuals. But I'm sorry for interrupting. No, not at all. And, and it's so hard to recreate the impact of something like that now where, like, everybody has seen everything. Like, it's really rare to see. Like, now we've swung back around to now the thing that impresses people is stuff that's real, that's, like, done for real, like a Mission yeah. Impossible stunt or whatever. Yeah, uh, it's really hard to impress people with the special effect now. But back then, it was just like this thing where you were like, "Oh, oh my, like, oh my god!" You, yeah, you thought the other one was unstoppable. This one is crazy unstoppable. That's I mean, like when I watched T one thousand or when I first saw him, like I was terrified, and I thought, like, "There's no like, how are they going to defeat?" <laughs> Is not that's the whole yeah, and that's the whole point of it. The whole that idea that there is like an unstoppable killing machine that's coming to kill you. By the way, when I was thinking about this, it occurred to me that they were so lucky that they ended up at a foundry with a truck full <laughs> of uh, liquid nitrogen. Like, how lucky is that? The two things that are going to kill this unstoppable robot from the future, and it wasn't like that was the plan. The plan wasn't. Arnold Schwarzenegger wasn't like, ah, oh, we will take them to the foundry. That's yeah. It like it was like a chase and they just ended up at a foundry. How often do you end up at a foundry randomly? It's one of those things where like when you, think, when you think about it after the effect, like it sounds ridiculous. But when you're in like that whole like immersion of the movie, you're just like, yeah, just fucking go with yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, Absolutely. Um, Let's go on to uh, your number one. Right. Okay. Oh, so sorry. So Buzz, what do you have to say? That James Cameron did. I'm wondering if number three, number one is going to be Avatar. Uh, <laughs> it's really <laughs> scary. Um, <laughs> the right, yeah, the the writer room for Avatar is my number one monster. So my uh, my number one has to go to the Thing from the Thing, uh, which obviously has Classic. no shape or look, which is the thing that's scary about it. Uh, and I think there's one moment in particular that to me like uh, crystallizes why the monster is so scary. And it's the, there's a, like a, there's a few very famous scenes. Uh, the one I'm talking about is the scene where uh, the defibrillator scene where um, uh, Norris is like out on the desk and the doctor, Dr. Cooper's like trying to defibrillate him. And all of a sudden the chest kind of caves in and becomes a mouth and bites his hands off. Cause the idea is that these things just look like people. It's, it's this creature that can look like anything and mimic anything. So at no part does it mean that like its head is actually a head, you know, all of a sudden yeah. it's a torso becomes a mouth. And so then there's like this big commotion and a, a thing jumps out of its stomach and is like on the, the ceiling and Kurt Russell is like fighting it with a flamethrower. And then uh, Norris's head detaches from the body and flops down onto the floor. And then it like its tongue comes out and like it sets itself upside down and then sprouts legs and eyes on stalks and walks away. But the head is upside down. What the, 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 the thing, the, the thing, the fact that it's like a human head is irrelevant to this creature. Yeah. It's just a bunch of like matter to it. And I don't know, something about that moment is so utterly scary to me. It's kind of silly a little, but it's you- also really scary. 
do you have like some nostalgia value to this or is this for me sometimes when i like start thinking about the scariest moment it's almost something that happened when i was like six or seven in terms of when i saw a movie right uh was this something maybe you saw like early in your life and it sort of resonated with you or is this something that you just like really liked after afterwards because you sort of thought about it more that's a good question i'm not i don't i'm I'm not sure how young i was when i first saw it i mean if we're gonna go there I'm going to have some weird picks like the scene from Beetlejuice where uh, oh my gosh, you know, yeah. she, ta- you know, he, ta- the, he opens a closet and they tear their the face off or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. like that got, gave me like childhood nightmares. But yeah, no, the, the T-1000, my dad took me to see Terminator 2 when I was nine in the theater back when parents were cool. Um, <laughs> and uh, I did not have an easy, uh, my bedtime was not fun that night. I got to say. <laughs> Anyone else got to say something about the thing? I mean, I, I, I personally have never seen it, but I was just curious what his thoughts are in terms oh, of like, wow, how it resonated really? with him over time. Oh, my God. But yeah, Preston, so Jeff? Watching, I was just saying we could do a big Kurt Russell movie thing because I'm a big Kurt <laughs> Russell fan. You strike him as a Kurt Russell type uh, fan there. Big, it big holds up so well. I mean, it really does. Well, there's yeah. Escape from New York, and there's also like Big Time. Was it like uh, Big Trouble in Little Tokyo? Which, which is a classic one. I China. think Escape from L.A. Big, uh, little China, yeah. Yeah, the Big Trouble in Little China is one of the most ridiculous movies I've ever seen in my life. I, I like, so but it's one of those things I haven't really needed to see more than once, but it is so, so silly. It almost, in some ways, uh, is kind of like, I shouldn't say it's actually similar to Cabin in the Woods, but like it almost sort of like subverts, subverts your thoughts on like what the traditional genre is like. But all right, so we're going to move on to Joe. Joe, what do you think about your top three monsters? What do you think? All right, boys, it's going to be hard to <clears throat> come right after that. No, that, those are three excellent picks. <laughs> um, but in my third. It's like playing Catan. You know, if you go first, you're like, uh, you have the, the best Man. picks. <laughs> so anyway, I'm going to give it a shot. But in my number three sh- slot, I'm going to go with The Werewolf from American Werewolf in London, uh, the John Landis classic. Number two, I'm going to go The Killer Rabbit from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I know I've picked it before on this podcast, but it's not coming. by God, it is one of the funniest slash ingenious uses of a monster. You know, a, a <laughs> fluffy white bunny is coming to like eat everyone's throat. It, it, it was all over its face. Yeah. Wait, what's, what's the line John Cleese says when he's like, and his teeth <laughs> like he like pauses or what, what was he say or something like that like he like he's trying to like he's trying to like escalate the situation being like no it's a ra- it's not it's more than a rabbit but he's like and it's got my fang like i forget like that. It's so funny. <laughs> very uh, very cleese i'm a very big john cleese fan but i can never remember exactly what he says but go ahead i i love the killer rabbit it's one of my favorite scenes sorry joe uh, tim the enchanter <laughs> man this is this next monster, my number one monster, it's near and dear to my heart. No, I'm I'm sure you've seen this maybe, you know, in your travels. Um, uh, but the Loch Ness monster from South Park. <laughs> <laughs> the Tree Fifty episode? Tree Fifty. Yes. I have never laughed more in my life when I, I saw that episode of South Park. And for that it's it's my number one pick. Wait, wait, refresh my memory because I've probably seen this, but what, what I, I've really drawn a blank here. So, what is this? The Loch Ness monster? What what does it wind up being? How does it like wind up be, become part of the story? So, explain this, Bert. Well, it's I mean, I can't even remember if they actually like see. Do they see the Loch Ness monster in it? I don't even know, but like I know that that it's it centers around Chef's parents, uh, I believe, who like keep going into this story about how they owed the Loch Ness monster three fifty. <laughs> and I, I, 
three dollars and fifty cents. They're always saying three fifty. And uh, man, it's been a long time since I've seen that episode. Worry about how the Loch Ness monster cons the people into giving him three fifty. Three fifty. Yeah. And it's oh, it's, yeah. He always like it has a it's like a master of disguise, and they're like, and then you know what? It was the Loch Ness monster. It's like, and he wanted his three fifty. All right, so we've uh, we've moved on from Joe. We got Joe's top three picks. We're gonna move on to Preston. Your top three favorite monsters in film or TV history, Preston. We're all anxiously waiting for it. All right, um, I am gonna go with because uh, I, I I do feel some nostalgia on these picks, which does make a lot of sense because you know things scared us when we were little, and you know it's you, know, you still think about it. Uh, this did not really scare me as much as I just love this this film and the series of films. So number three, I'm going with uh, Mogwai or the Gremlins from Gremlins. You know, that can include Gizmo, of course. Yeah. He's a very adorable monster. <laughs> um, number two, and man, I struggled with these two going back and forth. But number two, I, I have to go with uh, an absolute classic, a real life monster, and that would be jaws from jaws Ooh. plenty to say about that um obviously when you were young you first saw it, it scared the shit out of you and this is apparently the same deal back in the early 70s um if you talk to anybody from that era i know that that, that just terrified the entire country um and one of the one of the best because you know the the like the reason that you don't see the shark a lot is the shark prop is terrible yep. <laughs> and so yep. It's actually one of the like the best. It ended up being like a like a smart choice that really worked. By the way, also the same kind of with the xenomorph. I mean, that wasn't their like thought process. If you watch the original Alien, you see that creature very little, and there's yep. one scene in particular where if you actually focus on it, it's kind of silly and almost bad. Where there's one scene where like for one moment you see it in full light, and it's just a guy in a suit, and he goes like this. I mean, you, like the people listening can't see the, yeah. the face I just made, but well, he just makes this face, and it's really silly out of context. Is this in? And this is in Ridley Scott's Alien. Yeah, like the original in the original Alien. It's what this one like flash scene where it just goes bad. You know, yeah. it's just, it's like a bad face. Coming from someone that like graduated from Berkeley School of Music, do you think that music? How much do you think music plays a part in like making these characters? We should say monsters or whatever, sort of built up more than maybe they should be because right because the the music in jaws actually is more horrifying maybe than the actual monster itself do you think that or like what do you think about that well i think it also plays like to your psychology like because you're talking about fear right uh and uh, a lot of fear especially i think a good one is like with uh, stuff in like the water right like the idea that like you're floating in the water it's dark what's going on under you you don't yeah. know you can't see it well, you can't even see anything except for water, right? You're in the middle of the ocean. Like, you can't yeah. even, like, you can't even contemplate swimming to land because you can't even see it, right? That's that even more huge, horrifying. That is such a huge fear of mine. Like, what? that idea is, uh, of, like, being out in the ocean at night. Open water. Ugh. Yeah. Oh, Just that waking is terrifying. up there. That, that's, that's absolutely terrifying. Let's not dwell on that I do have one one thing, and I think uh, Joe does as well. But I, I just uh, piggyback on what uh, Noam was saying about like, and and you too, Matthew, about the the uh, the basically the shark. Uh, Spielberg had so many issues with it, and it was constantly malfunctioning. And that's where he like through that those issues, he came up with the idea of like the filming 
you know, below kind of like this, like, like it's approaching. And then you couple that with uh, John Williams score. Pretty sure that was John Williams. Yep. And it became, it yeah. was like, yeah, it's like a whole character in itself. And I, I think, yeah, you hardly really see the shark um, or at least you don't see it. I think how they planned for it to go. And uh, yeah, and they just had to improvise and it became one of, you know, Spielberg's more ingenious. Um, yeah. And then you uh, see film, it full on that one, that one scene. Where, he, right. where, where, you know, Warshider has his back turned and it just like flops onto the deck and just <laughs> yeah. looks back and it's, and it's so good. It's so good, man. Well, if they hadn't built up to that, it would have looked comical, I think. But what were you saying, Joe? I'm sorry. Yeah, and, and to segue into that, the way they built up the, the shark in Jaws, the great white, Quint's speech when he's talking about re- recalling his um, war service on the USS Indianapolis. He was delivering the atomic bomb. Yeah, exactly. And so they didn't know that they were out there and they didn't know they were coming back. And so they didn't have any rescue planes or any ships looking for them for two weeks. And so there were, what, 400 people out in the ocean and, you know, three of them, 300 of them get eaten alive by sharks. That that my worst nightmare. Yeah, that is that is a true story. It is not not specifically quit quint. But yes, the USS Indianapolis was sunk by a u-boat by a like a sorry like a japanese yeah sub and most of the people who survived the sink got eaten by sharks yeah uh, like hundreds that is, right oh, something yeah, that is entire entire did they, did they get eaten by sharks alive or did they just die from yeah yeah yeah, then, yeah. Oh, okay. like the survivors in the water most of them got eaten by sharks the water's warm there's lots and lots of fucking sharks i know it's terrible <laughs> like it's one of the worst i mean i this is really we're getting into dark territory but yeah, it is one of the one of the worst stories of uh, of like the Pacific Theater, I think. Ew. All right, Preston, your number one pick before we already spilled a lot of blood on yeah, John. That's, that's <laughs> yeah, right. uh, great. It is a great book too. If you never read it, it's a fun read. Um, Preston so, dropping knowledge that he's read and is literate. Go ahead. Well, speaking uh, <laughs> from to another book, I, this next monster, I, I read uh, the book. Uh, at a way too young of an age to be uh, reading content like this, but um, I am choosing Pennywise, the Dancing Clown um, from Stephen King's novel It. Um, basically, you know, this ancient eldritch type monster alien whose uh, main form that we all know of is as a clown, but if you know the book or you've seen the movies, like he can shift into many forms and it's all kind of based on your fears and imagination. And that clown scared the absolute shit out of me as a young kid. I even like the Tim Curry version. Oh, um, so scary. And scary that miniseries is kind of corny. That miniseries is, is yeah. very corny in parts. Very corny. But he is so good in it. Right. He's so good. And then... I'm gonna eat your dreams, you know. Yeah. There's this whole that whole like monologue where he reaches through the book. Oh, I love that one so it's, much. Yeah, and and the the original I think in 1990 was a little more like, I mean, it was definitely meant to be scary, but comparing it to the the recent two films, like it was more playful in a in a way, or like a little bit more like, uh, yeah, maybe corny is a good word, but um, I thought uh, you like the original or the new one that came out more. Oh, I mean, I I I like the the new one more as far as like just general like fear and terror i like the the original did a good job of of giving you kind of like that homey feel you know with the kids and 
Uh, but I mean, it was just like, there's just so much more to movie making now that I, I just feel, especially Bill Skarsgård. I thought it was, did a great job as Pennywise. Um, yeah, it's, it, you're it's right. Just, and it, 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 it does have that, like, they almost, they felt like they had to make those like mini series work for people who didn't like Stephen King. So there's like, huge, right. there's like human drama in it. The same goes for the, the stand mini series that they made yeah. back then, which by the way, there's a, CBS All Access has a, the stand coming out now with Whoopi Goldberg as Mother Abigail and uh, really not yeah Alexander Skarsgård you know uh, the guy from True Blood is the is the is yeah. the flag in it. Uh, their brothers King, are cousins, I think. Stephen King like, has, has to be the most like prolific writer of all time. It's amazing how much he's like able just to constantly churn out. I'm I'm constantly just in awe. Of how many not just like incredible stories he writes, but just how he's able to sit down at his typewriter, his computer, and just churn out not just stuff, but good stuff as well. And the worst tweets of all time. <laughs> in between him writing, really good, yes. in between really him writing books. horror books, yeah, he's exactly just, right. Really he's just tweeting shit. But what were you gonna say before we move on to your picks? That really only I was thinking I was gonna say that was actually my number three, and just mainly because it just stuck with me for so long. I, I you know, still kind of scared of clowns because of it. Somebody's parents rented it at the movie store. The Buds, did you like the new ones? They were scary. Yeah, they were, they were very yeah. different, and maybe it's because I didn't know. And unlike you, I haven't read the book. But I thought yeah, the book is the book is uh, the book has some parts that would not would not translate well to a movie. No, it crosses the line. Yes, so teen, to speak. Teen teen orgies and stuff like oh, that. Like God. it is it is extremely his it is ex- most graphic novel. Yeah, it is an extremely. Oh, so Stephen King was really high on the coke during those writing yeah. process. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, that was like during. Yeah, no, no, that was during. That was like you know you know the the Red Hot Chili album one hot minute. <laughs> yeah. same thing like they were all yeah. like i was like so stephen king was like sitting at his typewriter with a sock around his cock and just go into town on teen orgies on the typewriter uh but... <laughs> all right bud so you already get give your number three let's go to your number two well i think my number two is uh gonna be what i, what I kind of liked about this was that like a when this came out a few years ago it was right around this time halloween and it and it had a lot of nostalgia too, but I'm gonna go with the Dermagorgon from Stranger Things. Oh uh, yeah, dude, I almost did that. That was up there. It had a good build up. You you know you didn't see it at first. It had taken some people. You didn't really know what was going on. But when it yep. finally came out of the school wall and all its like full glory, because you hadn't really seen too many like you know CGI effects, and it looked that good, I I was like I'm all over it. Yeah, I loved how they introduced it when it was. You yeah. thought it was just like this big giant. Like like almost bipedal thing, which I guess it is, but like it was it was very like scary in that photograph, kind of like just like oh look at that in the back, and I love like great series. I also love that it's called the Demogorgon, which is a real like a, it's it is a real like Dungeons and Dragons thing, like yeah, because yeah. <laughs> it just it and it's set up so beautifully because that's literally the first thing you see in that season. Yeah, is them playing Dungeons and Dragons with that yeah. little the little miniature of the like three headed dragon or whatever it is. The kids Morgan, set it up perfectly. We've got one Settlers of Catan reference and one Dungeons and Dragons already. Oh, there you go. And my number one is going to make this even nerdier. My number one is the Borg from Star Trek and its other iterations. Uh, I think the Borg were just kind of cr- they, they they sort of fascinated me. They weren't exactly monsters per se. You know, they just represented this sort of like existential threat to humanity and sort of everything we, I guess, don't necessarily take for granted or 
not to say like, like you know exceptionalism of humanity and then they sort of take and twist some of those things like you know they re- they sort of i think represent maybe like the extreme of progress i guess maybe like from a very smaller level like the threat of communism to a degree streamlined we're all part of one hive unit you lose all your sense of individuality when captain picard turned with that like last episode before like the twist and he had like the you know botanical eye it was oh dude Mm -hmm. it was great it's you know i think there's something really scary about and this works in like other science fiction like in books uh of showing you a society that's so advanced it's like magical to you and then showing you something that they are like overmatched against there's something super scary about that because you're like, wow, they, the, the humans of the 24th century seem invincible to me, and then they encounter a threat that seems invincible to them. That is really scary. Um, I, I actually think this is kind of cool that I, I'm, that was the last one to go because I think it's part of a good segment of the movie because I didn't really know anything about this movie going in, and I like it. Kind of reminded me of like an, an old Star Trek episode. That's interesting. Yeah, like like who watches the Watchers or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, let me give my my picks because I still have to go. My top three, we'll, we'll run through them really quick before we get right into the cabin of the woods here. So my top three are the Predator, the original Predator from Predator. Number two, Tony Perkis from Heavyweights because he is just an absolute monster and just he hates overweight children. And number one, <laughs> I have the Rancor from Return of the Jedi. And this is honestly more of a nostalgia pick. And like, I'm almost going to lump all of like the job of the hut and his associates in with them. So I'm lumping the rancor with, uh, you know, the pet salacious B crumb and Bib Fortuna at the same time, and maybe Jabba himself. But the main reason I love the rancor is, and I always love that, like his handler, his like fat handler or whatever, yeah. when the rancor died, yeah, when he like rushed in and like cried, yeah, it was like, it was, it was, really it was so sweet, yeah, really sweet sad, and sad. yeah. There's this like shot of him like just crying on this guy's shoulder, and just like, oh, god damn it, <laughs> yeah, no, no, it makes you feel sympathy for a monster that was about to kill the main character of the whole series, which is kind of it's actually like really really interesting, right? Yeah, I would yeah. call that the uh, King Kong effect. <laughs> I always felt terrible for King Kong. But no, I mean, I, I always, I, I always like when I was younger, I always gravitated towards Return of the Jedi, even though it's probably like the worst one, the original trilogy or whatever, because just I love like the whole monsters. I almost included what you want to call it, the uh, Sarlacc pit. Like I said, it's, it's it's like those like creepy, creepy people that sort of hang out in Jabba the Hutt's chamber. I always sort of just wanted to sort of be immersed in that environment, even though like it's gross, but you just can't get enough of it as a kid. I feel like like the Salacious Crumb character and then like Pit Fortuna with his like weird wraparound nasty snail head or whatever you want to talk yeah, about. Yeah, well, he's a Twilight. They have these like uh, head kind of head tentacle things. Do you think what, the Starlag Pit was kind of a ripoff of the, the worms from Dune? Well, it's static. <laughs> the, the, the worms kind of move around and stuff. Bud's just read Dune, by the way, so I think he's going to try to drop that. And never <laughs> now that they postponed the movie ten months ago, <laughs> <laughs> fuck man. But he 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 just read the novel, so now I think he's just trying to do- drop his Dune Dune knowledge into everything we have to say. Bring it, Budge. I want to hear it. <laughs> I'm excited about the film. <laughs> I am too. I, I was pumped. And I, it's one of the, the one of the, one, the the big delays that I was kind of most upset about, basically because yeah. it took me forever to read that book. You can always watch the original. It's so hard to sit through. Like you really want, like you have to like force yourself to sit through it. And it has some iconic it. visuals, and I'm really glad that the new movie kind of 
follows in that light. Because I think it nailed a couple of things that really nailed that look, that sort of brutally, brutalist, deserty look that it has. Like that's really good. And they kind of echo that in this new one. Uh, but yeah, it's it's too weird and David Lynchian. <laughs> <laughs> I did watching it as a child. All right, so let's uh, let's move on to the Cabin in the Woods here. Let's uh, talk about the feature movie that we're talking about in this podcast. So, um, Cabin in the Woods, I guess, is uh, released in 2012. It's written by I, I, shit. I didn't even write the name. I forgot. It's uh, Josh Whedon. Josh, Josh Whedon, and it's a or we, and it's David. Good. I, I, I it's Drew. Go, it's Drew Goddard directed. Drew Goddard. Goddard. All right, so it's uh, written by Josh Whedon, directed by Drew Goddard. Um, so what I want to talk about is this because this movie actually is sort of a parody or a satire on the horror genre uh, genre in general but it's also more than that so i want to just get y'all's general sort of ranking or maybe ranking maybe barometer in terms of uh where would you rank it in, or where would you place it would you rank it as a satire and parody or would you rank it as a comedy would you rank it as a like a horror slasher film and because it's not really it's not really a scary like a, a parody in terms of a scary movie but like just where where do you overall terms and see this movie? Where do you actually like place it in terms of when you talk about it, when you describe it to somebody? Do you th- you say, hey, this is actually a great slasher movie, it's a great comedy movie, this is a great blah 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 movie? No, you seen you said you watch this movie a lot. Where do you actually like think about this in terms of movies in general? So that, you you ask a good question because this movie's a little hard to fit in a box, right? It's it's yeah. a very it's a very odd animal, which is one of the things I love about it, uh, and I think. I think you know, you can tell from the very first minute because, I mean, it starts with like a credit sequence, blah, 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 who cares? Like, I don't like fucking credit sequences. But it it, it, it starts by, uh, by telegraphing that it's meta. It doesn't start by showing you the characters and then slowly you understand that, oh, something weird's going on here. It starts with the weird. It's like this movie, it starts with a weird, like it cuts them having a, a discussion at the office, right? You don't know exactly what's going on here. Yeah. Like, there's a really scary, there's a really scary credit sequence. And then it cut hard cuts to like a, like an office. And he's talking about child proofing his house, even though his wife, they're not even pregnant. yet. <laughs> they're trying to get pregnant, but his wife is already child proofing their house. And then somebody says something about a scenario and like, you don't really know what's happening. And then the one jump scare in the entire movie is the title splash screen. It's like, it just says cabin in the woods and you're like, a, ah! there's like a scream or whatever. Love and it just that. comes out of nowhere. And I remember I went to see this with my friend and when that happened, I turned to her and I said, I'm going to love this movie. <laughs> something about that was just so genius to me because it was so weird. And so it was, it was saying to you like, this is not this basically that the purpose of that scene is to say the next scene you're about to see is a joke because well, that well, scene yeah well let's talk about this in terms of because you went and saw it in theaters because i didn't see this in theaters and i don't remember it coming out so you obviously must have seen the trailer and been excited for it when you saw the trailer what was what was your ex- expectation for it maybe is a better question so i didn't really somebody told me to go see it and not to not to read up on it at all um, okay. and, and I remember I so I remember seeing like a flash of like a trailer like on TV you know like a, during like a baseball game or something like that where it it showed to me that like like the, the the impression I got from like the snippet of the trailer I saw is there's something beyond this isn't just a regular haunted house which is also <laughs> what people told me also if you look at the poster the poster implies that there's something more complicated going on 
Yeah. But I thought, like I said, I thought it was going to be like lost. Again, we're talking about Drew Goddard. It's it's all these people who do like the mystery box shit, right? Yeah. So I thought it was going to be like first half of the movie, very standard, but maybe some things are weird. And then, oh, there's going to be a big twist. And you're going to find out that they're actually in a facility. It's like the Truman Show and the horror movie. Mm-hmm. But no, like I said, it leads with that. Which it I did kind of have an us vibe to it. Yeah. But it, yeah, it, like it starts by saying, no, this isn't a regular movie. Pay it, pay attention to the things that are going to happen now because they're not. Because like the first, once it cuts to the characters, if you watch that and like pay attention, it's the most absurd thing ever. Like, oh her yeah, friend just dyed her hair blonde and she's like standing in the window in her underwear for no reason. <laughs> yeah, she's just like in the open window in her underwear. She doesn't even seem to know. No, that's and then that's later what... they explain it away. They like they gave them pheromones and stuff. They they like they put stuff in the hair dye to make her dumber because she's like a physics. Then it comes out she's like a Rhodes Scholar or some shit, but she like acts like a total dummy, and then you realize like it's all deliberate. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like that scene is ridiculous, and I think if they led with that scene, if that were the first scene of the movie, I think people would just like walk out <laughs> and not even like get to the good parts. People would be like, "What the fuck is this? This is like the worst tropey uh, uh, run of the mill movie I've ever seen." It's funny. Yeah, press. Oh, much. Go ahead. Sorry. It's funny you said. It. I guess you said his name was Drew Goddard. That's what made you think of like that movie. I I got Josh Weed Josh Whedon vibes all over this. Yeah. Like at the very beginning, I was thinking of like Avengers, and then you know when it's like <laughs> kept thinking it was like a big organization like that, and then flash forward to when it cuts to the you know the the college students, it kind of reminded it was like reminiscent of like a Buffy episode where they're yeah. like the dialogue is it's still of that campy sort of teen nature but it was just like a cut above that like there's a little bit of sort of like self their self-awareness to it they realize and i was like oh okay like i'm seeing the joss whedon vibes immediately he does yeah. do that joss whedon like subvert expectations because sure. he makes liam Hem- hemsworth like a i think he makes him like summa cum laude or whatever and he like picks out the economics book and he's like oh if you really want to blow your mind you're almost like kind of in like good little honey <laughs> you should read this book or blah 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 well, like that's it, the it, thing it's so it's it's the, the the so so basically i mean i i don't know like is the idea that we're spoiling the movie right i guess the idea is that no this is all part of like a like an eldritch ritual like a, basically there's like a yearly ritual sacrifice that has to happen for these like yeah. gods and uh there's a like a like an ancient formula that this ritual has to win and it involves like seven people like a hero a virgin a sage you know one of these like ancient archetypes and um and they, they all have to be like sacrificed to the gods in a certain order blah 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 so like they developed this system that like has basically become like a generic catch-all version of like every horror movie you've ever seen and so they basically took every trope. It's really smart. Like they took every horror trope they could think of and made an in-universe reason for them all to exist together. Like yeah. that's so that to me is like a really clever idea. And then there's the scene where they go into the basement and there's like a million different things where like if whatever you pick up, it like awakens a different kind of monster. Yeah. It's, it's like a menagerie of like cursed objects. <laughs> uh, it's like trailheads. It almost reminded me of like a video game. Where, like, you got your choice yeah. of, like, what quest am I going to yeah. uh, launch by picking up this thing or whatever. And it's just, and you like, it almost Reminds happens. Me. It's teasing you into thinking, like, one's going to happen and then another's going to happen. It's just, it's just so much fun. And, yeah, like, the more you know about the genre, 
the more fun it is to watch. Like, the, well, the, the, this is what Roger Ebert said was it was a puzzle for fanboys. Do you agree with that? Or do you think that like in some ways that like it was meant for people that really, really loved the genre and were able to pick it apart because they just noticed all the tropes like you were talking about and they could no, almost everything like, has to, and, yeah, like not everything has to be like a super intellectual. It is a, like a, it's a sort of a celebration it's it's you're leaning really hard into all of the tropes deliberately in a fun way. You're just yeah yeah like, yeah. Hey, this genre is kind of silly when you think about it, and you, here's a good way to explain it. No, um, you you you're making fun of it, but also celebrating it at the same time, right? Is, is yeah, that and also sense? like and the idea that like this ritual is taking place in different places, and like in Japan, it's the Japanese horror trope where they're like the little girls are dancing around this like ring looking <laughs> monster, this yeah. ring looking girl. So, I, I mean, I just—it was just so fun. It's just like, um, it's just like, uh, um, I'm trying to find an example that people would know because I know like super obscure examples of this happening. But like the idea that like the media we consume has some kind of like real world origin to it, you know, as as though you would discover that like the Godzilla mythos exists because yes, there actually was a Godzilla. You know, it's kind of like where the whole ancient aliens idea. That's what I think sort of reminded me of made it think of like an old vintage Star Trek episode or it was more sci-fi was, you know, take the old Star Trek idea that you go to a pre-industrial or Stone Age civilization and you go and you sort of show them this advanced technology, how that can be then over the next thousand years or hundreds of years or so, you know, how that elaborates into something completely different that has this basis in this one thing. And that's and that's kind of where why I was thinking and I enjoyed it because I'm a bit more of a sci-fi guy than horror that's kind of the stuff I really enjoyed about it. Well, Budge, I was going to ask you that I was going to ask almost present this to everyone else. Do you think this movie has some sci-fi elements to it? Or do you think it was sort of more related to satire, parody, comedy, and horror? Or do you think that it kind of leaned into a little bit sci-fi as well? Like, I, I think, I don't think it's like your classic sci-fi. Like again, you're yeah, obviously not. Yeah. Trek, your sort of space odyssey, but it is sort of in the sense that like, you've got this massive organization that these people work for that you know like, you're not quite this sure crazy what they, facility yeah every <laughs> monster that scene is so much fun uh and yeah like i said if when you you know when you watch the movie for the first time like not knowing what you're going into that whole part is like i said it's just such this, this sort of uh it's almost like a greatest hits montage where you're just like oh what am i gonna see next and you're you're trying to like uh you're trying to like spot all these fun monsters and stuff. And yeah, and then, but then they just like go all out because you think at first, okay, they're going to kind of tease a lot of these and just show me and it's going to be fun or whatever. But then like, like they just release them all throughout this facility. Well, hey, it, it only takes one chaos. button. It takes one button to apparently release every single monster in every single elevator, which I think is a little bit convenient and also yeah. a little bit well, like also, I mean, again, like that you're and you're exactly right. Like it's all, it, all everything about it is absurd, right? Well, it's, it's just, just one of those dudes, things that's like they dudes with overalls and machine guns and the machine guns are clearly like not effective <laughs> against any of the like think about Magneto and X Men, right? Yeah. They put him in prison in the in the two different iterations of Magneto that we see in prison. We see the Ian McKellen one in, in a prison. He's in like a floating inflatable plastic thing, playing a plastic chess set with uh, with Patrick Stewart. And then there's the the Michael Fassbender Magneto, who's also in like a plastic 
room where they slide his food down on like a plastic tray or whatever. Yeah, it's like more concrete than plastic. Yeah, yeah. Vampires and mutant monsters and robots and stuff. And it's just like, oh, we'll just give you some guns. (laughs) No, no, not body armor. It was in like seconds. We'll, we'll we'll get to that because I had I had some issues with the ending or whatever. But does anyone else have anything to say about in terms of how you define it as genre before we maybe move on to sort of like how we define this in terms of good versus evil versus maybe something a little bit different? What do you think, Joe or Preston? Do you have anything else to say? Like how would you define this in the genre? I think it would be you know in a classic horror comedy, you know, okay. kind of like a scary movie, but a more gory scary movie. But it's not. But a Shaun, movies, a Shaun of the Dead, maybe. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, more. Yeah, that would. Hooker and Dale versus Evil. Yeah. I feel like scary movies more just like making fun of the whole genre in general. This was almost like an homage to it, but also kind of leaning into it the same way. I, I don't know. It's like it's so like my. I just remember before I saw it in the films, like I don't think I'd really. I might have seen one trailer, and my vibe initially was okay. This looks like. I think, and maybe this is kind of what they wanted. Like, just kind of looks like a horror film. Like, I think Noam, you mentioned like haunted house. You're like, okay, they're going to go to a cabin. It seems bad. And, and and I now having like obviously seen it, but read a little bit about what uh, the writer, the directors, like they they wanted to kind of they wanted people to not really know what was what was going to happen going into the film. Like, they really were very secretive and wanted there to be like no spoilers. And and you read a lot of reviews of it, and people mention that. And so like. Going into it, I'm, I was thinking horror, and but then leaving it, I'm just thinking, wow, that was so entertaining and so <laughs> fun of, of, of like just what a movie experience. And, you know, yeah, you're laughing, you're you're scared. I mean, some of these monsters are certainly ca- you could categorize them as sci-fi monsters. So it's it's really hard to like pin a genre on it, which is why I think it's such a great film. Yeah, I, by the way, the, there is one thing about it that I, I find legitimately scary. Um, and I do think there is some measure of social commentary there, which is that it's the idea that, like, our world is always on the brink of, like, total annihilation. Uh, <laughs> with this, and, and it's there's these people who are in charge of it, and then what happens when that system, like, breaks down? And that's it. Like yeah. I said, like, the, the spoiler alert that I was going to... That I was going to launch into is that yeah, in the end, like the the world is destroyed by these eldritch beasts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the, the ritual was broken, like they broke the cycle or whatever. Um, and do you know what's at the, stake? Yeah, and he got he got killed by the merman. He got stabbed to death by the God. merman or whatever. Maybe the funniest and, part. Uh, I was disappointed with the merman, but we'll get into that. Sorry. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I just thought it was very fun. Like I just I don't know. I found it like just funny because because again yeah it's these people who are like tasked with the you know like the fate of humanity and it becomes their office job you know they yeah have like an office they have like an office pool and they're just like they're breaking out the beers like they have this like it's it's funny it's oh, almost it's like so this great. yearly ritual at work you know <laughs> well, i don't know like I, I find that incredibly funny well this well this works into my second question because i was going to ask so um this like we already talked about in terms of this movie kind of maybe subverts your opinion on genres, but it also sort of subverts your opinion on character expectations. So usually in horror slasher films, there's a very good versus evil type of thing. But in this film, it's totally different. It's not good versus evil per se. It's almost like cliche characters, what we talked about earlier versus what you were just talking about, Gnome and, 
uh, with these office job people is almost indifference. They don't care. So uh, I almost found myself rooting for these kids to die because like they were so purposely cliche, but at the same time you almost kind of root for them to succeed. I, I don't know. Like, the, uh, do you think that this movie kind of like, who are you rooting for? Maybe in general is what I'm saying is because that's a, really, that's, a that's a good question. It's a, it's a hard question to answer. Cause you're right. There is this like weird dilemma where, you know, if our main characters fail, you know, the world is saved, you know, like their deaths will save everyone else. Um, but, but there never seemed it, to be like stakes in this movie, so to speak. It almost just like you're like team versus team. Do you understand? Like it, because of the way the movie was set up, like you just said, in terms of it started with them being in this like sort of office job situation, sort of setting up, and this we knew that it wasn't a traditional slasher film. We almost got this predisposition to like suspect the unsuspected. Like I'm sorry for interrupting, but like this, this did the did the starting scene, like you said, almost maybe subvert our opinions on how we wanted to approach these characters i, I don't know if that's a weird way of saying i know that, I, I i think i understand what you're you're saying i think that because normally like in a normal movie quote unquote an organization like this would be portrayed as evil right? yeah as as shadowy and uh and even though its purpose is to save the world or maybe you know what in a hollywood movie they would pretty, probably find out that it's not they're not even saving the world they're just straight evil like you know you can never <laughs> have cuz now you can never have nuance you know like the you know parasite the korean film that won all those oscars yeah like the i think one of the beautiful things about that movie is that it it doesn't say hey, these poor people are all golden souls who are just oh, brought down. Oh, we reviewed that. We talked system. about that, yeah. They're all pieces of <laughs> shit, too. Like the, the point, actually, the point of that movie is like an unfair system corrupts everyone, not just yeah. rich people. Like poor people become pieces of shit in a system like that, too. Like that was the point. An American movie would never do that. They would be very, very sympathetic and they would have no flaws. And that. Yeah. And so here... It, it, it twists that around where like, yeah, the organization, not only is this organization like saving humanity, it's also just a fucking office, you know, yeah. where like where people have kids and are childproofing and they got to work long hours on the weekends or I don't know what. And like they have colleagues at a different office who fucked up. And so then now you got to like you have to like pick up their slack. I don't know. It's like it's just so funny. Like I said, it, it just it makes you like you said, it, it makes you rethink your traditional opinions on all of the different because we're we're almost conditioned to believe that like cliche characters suck like right so we see these college students going out like we see these cliche archetype characters which is built into the story right and then like we really i i almost wanted them to all die but like we we should be rooting for them to live because there's this almost apathetic sort of network that's just doing it because it's their job Preston, what do you think? Who were you rooting for? Did you see? Were you rooting for somebody specifically in the beginning, and maybe it shifted? Because I, I was honestly rooting for almost the network at the beginning, but then once it kind of got towards the end, you sort of feel more sympathetic towards the kids. What were you thinking? Uh, I had a lot of sympathy for uh, patients from the Buckner family. <laughs> uh, no, so I mean, I remember when I watched the film, like in theaters, so not really knowing much about it. And I guess before I was kind of putting everything together, um, I was like, I, you know, it's just like instinct. I'm for these these characters. I want them to fight back and, and you know, like be OK, essentially. And 
And uh, I think I related a little bit to Marty, um, just in general. <laughs> and, uh, and, but, you know, <laughs> let you like kind of see what's going on. And, and I think this is kind of their, uh, maybe this is their angle on all these characters is that the, none of them are really like, they're so cliche. Some, obviously the, like the kids or the young, young adults, like you don't really get you know, like a feel for them as far as like liking them, having this like real like attachment to them. And really, if anything, like I was like going back and watching it, I, I kind of, <laughs> I'm not saying I'm sympathetic, but I just really like Steve Hadley and Gary Sitterson. Like their characters to me are really funny. And, you know, I not, obviously not great people, but I <laughs> think, uh, <laughs> I, I, I think the point really is just like, you know, not to be attached to any of these characters. Cause I guess once you see what's happening, like, you know, like everyone's going to really go down at some point. And, uh, I, I, yeah, I, yeah, and I think maybe, initially, and also, I mean, and also maybe there is, a, a, maybe there is actually the point that, you know, the movie itself is kind of meta. And so maybe there is an additional point where like, because we aren't in that universe, we can also on some level root for that universe to end and not right. feel bad. Like to be like, fuck you, your universe sucks. Like what you're yeah. doing sucks. And so who cares? Yeah. If, well, that's like, that's if, what if, I was getting at the very beginning. Is they almost established that this isn't real, almost. Yeah, so you can, yeah. So you almost you don't you don't have to root for the good or evil type of thing. You sort of have this option, right? Uh, that's what I was kind of getting at. They they established right at the beginning with this sort of office sort of vibe is like, hey, this is our job, and so you almost get this sense of oh well it's my choice to decide if these cliche characters if i want them to die versus if i want this office to succeed versus a normal sort of horror film where you get built up these characters a sympathetic kind of thing like it's they they like you said Noam, they established this sort of tone very early on so you're left with this choice within the first five minutes what were you thinking joe sorry no 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 i wasn't i wasn't trying to cut you off go ahead matthew no, no, no. I, I thought you were. I thought you were going to say something. Uh, if you don't, uh, whistle or budge. What do you have to say? <laughs> okay, we'll edit, we'll edit this shit out. <laughs> let me let me edit this stuff out. Uh, sorry. Yeah, I, I will say this. Uh, now having watched it several times, I find myself just, yeah. I mean, not rooting really for anyone now that I know what's what's going on, and like uh, oddly, kind of rooting more <laughs> if, if I'm still rooting at all. For like the monsters and like I was <laughs> trying to like pick out more of like who all is here because I'm every time that scene happens like where they come out of the elevators it reminds <laughs> me of the South Park Imagination Land episode oh where sure. they've got where they've got all the characters on the like the evil characters from our imagination and whatever TV film movies on like the other side of the wall and they all come busting through and I just remember watching that episode and, and like pausing and trying to like like pick out everyone and so like you know i went back today and watched it and i'm just sitting there like okay look look there's that monster there's that monster you know this is to me like now it's just like it's just like this cult like and horror that scene, classic by, and that scene by the way reminds me this movie actually uh, on on some level reminds me of another movie that i love dearly the last action hero oh gosh what a great <laughs> A movie that's way ahead Great of its time movie. and is, in a way is to action movies what this is to horror movies. Um, yeah. Which is that it, 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 it brings action movie tropes into a diegetic context, if, if I could sound like an 
fartsy film student for a second. Like, it basically, like, it rolls, like, fake tropes into the real world of the movie. Yeah. In a bizarre way. And towards the end of that movie, I don't know if if you know or like it at all, uh, but uh, the, the, the point of the movie is that there's a, a magical movie ticket that lets you go into a movie. And there's a kid mm-hmm. who likes... Uh, a series of Arnold Schwarzenegger movies starring, like, he's a kid in our world who goes to a movie right? Uh, a, a movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger in it called uh, John Slater or something like that. It's like a, you know, it's like a series of movies. And he gets sucked into that movie universe with this, like, magical ticket. And then he's in an action movie, a very, very stereotypical action movie. And it's very funny, like, all the women cops are like these super hot and they have these like cut off tight uniforms <laughs> there's a car one of the cops in the station is a cartoon is like a cartoon cat just randomly um but Ooh, like towards the end the villain of the movie who's charles dance the guy who plays uh lannister yeah um he like brings all of these like movie monsters into the world using the golden ticket like uh he has like a slasher from a slasher movie and then there's like dracula and the then Ripper. Into, like the mummy or whatever. And it kind of reminded <clears throat> me of the end of this where it's just like you just randomly see like Dracula walking down the streets because they just like let him out of his own movie. It's funny um, that like everyone sort of got their different opinions on what it reminded them of because it kind of reminded me of the end of Avengers Endgame when all the superheroes were coming out of like the <laughs> whatever thing. And it also and also it also reminded me of Running Man when like you know how like all the people in the office are like cheering to be like betting on stuff oh, you know sure. like the like in running man where all the crowd like wants like certain characters to like kill arnold schwarzenegger right <laughs> like it was it was it was almost this mix of the same two movies I, I don't know but like it's funny how like every single person like sort of watches this movie and sort of draws from it i think that's exactly the point though because you know we, we all say it kind of here i think we all kind of have more different taste i come from a more like i'm not a big horror guy but i do watch a lot of like sort of science fiction and dystopian sort of future stuff and in since that's kind of what i was viewing it through the lens of like right like towards the end you're asking like who was i rooting for i wasn't really rooting for either i was just sort of rooting for them to call the bluff <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that, exactly know? like those I, are the stakes exactly. <laughs> yeah that's what well, i said well, like yeah this system sucks who cares yeah. man? like i'm not i don't i don't live in that universe what yeah. do i care well well let's move on to this question so we kind of talked about who's rooting for who but who actually won was the end of the ending satisfying to you at all or would you have changed something um but you were kind of talking about this like did you think the ending when you watched it do you think oh man this ended the way i thought or do you think if you could have changed it what would you have done i I don't know if i would have changed it i I kind of enjoyed it i certainly didn't i kind of just thought it was going to be some big bluff and you were going to find out maybe a little bit more (coughs) about like the agency and that sort of bureaucracy like you know, going back to what we were kind of saying, though, it's like, what do you know? What did you notice about it? Like, it's what did you notice the Easter eggs of? And like, again, I haven't seen a ton of horror movies, so I might have missed little bits and pieces. But like, yeah, take Sigourney Weaver's character. Like, I started laughing really hard because she's sort of like, obviously, you know, a major part of so many like science fiction franchises. She basically played the same character in a, in a Netflix series, Defenders, kind of Marvel series. But, you know, I was like, OK, she's going to come in and we're going to like they're going to call her bluff, right? The, the world's going to end. And then you're going to find out that this corporation has some other nefarious kind of like what <laughs> no was saying earlier purpose or idea. And then this has been a whole facade to cover up, you know, insert some nefarious means. So that's what I was expecting. And I don't necessarily mean that would make it better. 
I just, just you're asking me what I thought was going to happen. That was it. I thought it ended. I mean, I kind of liked the ending, though. I kind of thought it's like, yeah, blow the whole thing up. So you were what like, you oh, look, the ancient ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like the bluff was called, actually. So what do you think, Dom? I'll tell you why I like the ending. Uh, if this is a movie that like deliberately like explores the mechanics, like tries to like pull away all the, you know, imagine like going behind the set on a TV set. Like if a horror movie is like a TV set, this is like walking behind those walls and like looking at the girders and the, you know, <laughs> on, like, behind the scenes. And so when you do that, when you say like, uh, it, it's almost like, uh, this is such a weird analogy, but um, there's a famous magic trick. Uh, and you have like three red cups and you got like three scrunched up pieces of like tinfoil balls. And it's this whole routine where like, you know, you put it under one cup and then it's two and then it's three. And it's this whole like sleight of hand thing where you go through this whole routine where like the ball changes from one cup to the other. And then all of a sudden there's two of them and then the ball's on top of the cup. And, you know, it's one of those like famous routines. Penn and Teller do a version of that trick with uh, transparent plastic bags. Yeah, it's Just amazing, so you actually. see everything yeah. that they're doing. And so I feel like this movie's a little bit like that. It's a little bit like a magic trick that sh- is where they're showing you how the trick is done. Like they're showing you how the sausage is being made. And so when you do that, you got to <laughs> show the stakes. You got to show what happens if they fail. Like you can't, you know yeah. what I mean? Like you got to show the fail state, the game well, that's, over state. That's the meta part is do you think that like the two guys who are sort of directing this in terms of the story, not actually like they're actually the characters, I forget their names or whatever, are they sort of almost in a meta sense, the writers of the actual screenplay? I think that's what some people have asked is <laughs> the way they sort of conduct these things, the way they sort of ask these questions. Do you think that's like what they were almost getting at? Do you think that they were writing themselves into the movie? That's an interesting, uh, interesting theory. It's also maybe like a commentary about how like your ending sometimes crashes and burns and you're like, I don't know what to do. So just <laughs> the world ends. Yeah. <laughs> You know what I mean? Everybody dies at the end. Cut to black. What do you think, Preston? Was was the end satisfying for you? Did you like it? And like, were you expecting it? And then did you, when you saw it, did you think, oh, this is great? Or did you think you wanted something else? Well, I mean, at what, what point are we like, when does the ending really begin? Are, you, are, you, are we like, when we like see Sigourney Weaver or, you know, I mean, like, well, I guess that's the ending. It's like, there's that's so up to much you. going it's, on. It's, it's up to your interpretation. Uh, in terms of just how it all convoluted to itself, let's just yeah. say the ending is when they finally sort of find that elevator, right? Do you think the well, way I, it happened after that was satisfying? If we're talking about that, I mean, that to me, that was incredibly satisfying because that's when like things really get in motion. And, and that's where like initial me was seeing it in the theaters was like, oh, yeah, let's go get some revenge on these people. Yeah, and, but after that, what happened? Well, after yeah. that, I mean, like, then it's just like all out chaos. And I thought it was, I mean, again, like, I think a lot, some people who don't like horror films watch it and think like, oh my God, this is scary. Like, oh, look at all these monsters. Like, to me, I thought it was like, it was so, like, it was just a, a awesome ride of a film, especially during all these parts. And I mean, for me, I, I kind of wished it was a little bit longer. It's a very short <laughs> film. And so like, I think it's a crossroads. I think that that moment is a crossroads where like in a way the movie could have cho- chose to 
choose to, to, to use that point to like become more serious and now she's yeah. real right because now they're outside of that system or whatever it's all pheromones like the way they act is all deliberate they're all being like manipulated into acting in the way that they acted so you could say like okay now we're breaking all of that and now it becomes a really serious movie right yeah it could have yeah. done that but instead it was just like nah this is just gonna be like a gore fest of <laughs> looking now we will I release the monsters I have the movie open here, and it's I paused it on the wide shot of all of the little cubes with all of the things in it. That that's like my yeah, favorite part so, of the film. It's just so much fun. There's like a King Kong. <laughs> one of them's full of like inmates uh, with like a, orange jumpsuits. There's like a robot. There's the twins from The Shining. I see a blob. I see a giant tarantula, a giant yeah. centipede. Uh, uh, one full of zombies. There's like a crazy surgeons in one of them. It's just like these, like every we- random weird scenario you can think of. Um, what else is there? <laughs> well, I, I kind of have a question for everyone. Uh, I'm not if this now if this is on the wheel, Matthew, you can you can shut. No, me go up. for it. Go for it. We'll move to the wheel after Preston's question. But like of uh, so obviously in the film they bet uh, all the people who work at the organization bet on who they think which monster will be summoned first. And so uh, the question would, would be like, which monster would you have wanted to be summoned first? Like, well, uh, who would you have wanted to see? Uh, this know? was on the wheel, but we're going to let, we're going to allow it. <laughs> we're going to allow it. The judge is allowing it. No, who, who, who do you think you could fight the best in terms of a monster? Well, is that the question though? No, no, that's not the question. Oh, that's not the question? The question is, who would you want? Because, you know, like, obviously Bradley Whitford's character, he's just like, oh, God, I wish it was the merman, you know? Like, oh, so you, oh, your question is who would you want to see, not who would you want to fight? Which monster would you have wanted to see summoned? Yes. Okay. I kind of love, I kind of love zombie redneck torture family. I just, it just <laughs> sounds like, a, it sounds like a, the name of like a band. But isn't that who that was though? That's, that's, that, that was, was the Buckners, yeah. yeah. I know, I just Buckners. love, I mean, I just, I cannot get over it. It's just like I said, it just sounds like the name of a, like, like a, like a, like a Rob Zombie band. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> I mean, I think I would have preferred to see just of my personal taste, some alien. One thing is, I, I actually was agreeing with the guy from uh, Billy Madison. I kind of wanted to see a merman thing, but when I actually saw the merman at the end, I'm glad I didn't see him because he's almost sort of this like amorphous blob with like a shark <laughs> fin at the end, and like he kind of like he would not have been a very compelling, he's not bad uh, monster at all, especially meant to kill four people. Joe, what do you think? Who who would you like to see to like sort of like kill all these college age kids? Well, if we're going in the woods, you know, I think this is childhood scaries type moments. I would kind of go with the headless horseman. Oh, I like that. Looking branches and, you know, they're lost in the woods. (laughs) I mean, to behead them. And, you know, you could there's always a bunch of jump scare opportunities in the woods. I think that would be pretty scary. Do you think you would have had like that? Do you want him to have like the pumpkin like face when he's holding it up? Or do you think you'd have something else? Yeah, exactly. You want it to be Christopher? Do you want to be Christopher Walken's <laughs> filed teeth Hessian head from uh, from uh, Sleepy Hollow? Exactly. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good Halloween movie. It is. It is a good Halloween movie. Narici, Giant. Sure. Yeah. Matthew, you said something earlier that I wanted to know. Um, you said you know the guy from Billy Madison, and it made me think that when you're watching this with someone. <laughs> And where they reference Bradley Whitford from, like, do you think that kind of tells you about them? If they're like, "Oh, that's Josh from The West Wing," or that's like the guy from Oh, 
<laughs> or do they say is it oh eric from billy madison. yeah no i i look at him as eric from billy madison but you're right I, i've never really been a western fan so it's interesting to kind of maybe oh what do you guys think is when you thought this do you have that almost vibe that he's like that sniveling person from billy madison or do you think he's from west wing he's, i feel like in this in this film he's more sniveling eric if yeah anything, but. <laughs> but when i see him i think like west wing Sure. I, mean, I don't, I don't even sense. know his character. I've never seen West Wing, so I don't even know his okay. character. So I'm curious. It's like, but he kind of had that all that like Josh thing where he like all shucks type, like yeah, kind of like fake. I don't know. I would like to say since I'm in close to the Pacific Northwest, my my uh, my pick would have been like Wendigo or Sasquatch. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. Like some old old uh, Americana folklore. Matthew, oh. would you prefer to the merman kind of like me? I was expecting um, to see like the the spirit of what was the movie where the, the Doug Jones played the not the senator, but the, <laughs> uh, the was it the, the Guillermo del Toro movie? Was it the Spirit of Water with the fish? Uh, the Shape of Water. Shape of Water. Sorry, yeah. that that that's kind of what I was expecting, and it's not what we got for the merman. I think I it's hilarious. So you're saying you're saying did. he wasn't you're just saying he wasn't sexy enough. No, well, <laughs> like, yes, that's true. I mean, I what you got? No, no, no. He I was, the same he thing. Was total, he was totally unfuckable. I was expecting the Poseidon he was not a tall like, drink of water. I was expecting like a Poseidon rip six pack, yeah. like coming out of water, like long white hair, trident, and stabbing yeah. people. Yeah, but like he wound up like it's like Wilson was. Uh, Budge was saying, "Why not this so like blobus yeah, more Jason thing. Momoa, yeah. less literal fish man? <laughs> yeah, you got like exactly. a you got like a grouper, a grouper mixed with a human that was electrocuted and it had type two diabetes." <laughs> All right, so we're gonna move on. We've talked about uh, Cabin in the Woods. We're we're gonna move on to the wheel questions, which are a little bit more fun, a little bit more interesting. So, number one on the wheel: a bug, a cat, a person. Number two, monster matchup. Number three, you're the god. Number four, merman dad. Merman, uh, obviously a Zoolander reference. Number six, five, uh, pick your career. Number six, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the biggest creep of them all? Number seven, whammy like always. Number eight, check out the evil Knievel there. Number nine, you got a friend in me, number 10, free spin. So what we're going to do, we're going to spin the wheel. We're going to do a couple of these. Here we go. Oh, number two. So monster matchup. So this movie demonstrated that all the monsters are beatable and that you can escape and defeat them. Which horror monster in film and TV or in this movie do you think that you best match up with? And you could beat. So we're gonna let Noam start this off. Who do you think in horror movies that you could actually maybe outsmart, beat? Do what, what do you think? I think I'm, I would be very good against zombies because fucking they're just, <laughs> they're just like come on, man. We're just run away. You just yeah, you just gotta know the lore. Like that's the thing about the thing about zombies is they their concept if they if they conform to like the regular you know like old school zombie format like knowledge of them kind of makes them less effective you know like all you need to to know in order to because like who doesn't know about zombies now and how you defeat them you know 
God, you're kind of ruining the question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Why? I think he's, he's answering it. Yeah, no, he's answering. answering. I'm just kidding. All right, go ahead, Preston. What do you think? Um, gosh, you know, I, this to me was. If we're talking about the film, I thought this was an odd, you know, quote unquote monster. But there was a unicorn. So like, <laughs> yeah. I feel like out of all these monsters, people. yeah, I would have like a better chance of trying to like, you know befriend a like a horse-like creature you know, I'm, not, I'm not like a, I'm not a horse person i don't really like them that much but like i feel feel a little bit more connected to a, a horse than let's say uh the dismemberment goblins so you know i feel like i'd have a shot to basically like try to like pet the horse and maybe like get on it and and get the fuck out of there what do you think joe who you, who, who do you think in terms of monsters and tv that you could actually face up with Put your fist up and then beat the shit out of them. I like Gnome's pick. I'm going to go zombies. And this is because I would always have a reoccurring nightmare. <laughs> I had it in a while, but it's like, you know, I'm stuck with people like my grandparents or my parents, and the zombies are out to get us. And it's up to me to find where we're going to hide. And they always end up finding us, but like, I've got to end up, I've got to, you know, find the escape route and, and you know, Fend them off. So I think I've had enough practice with zombies. So I'm going to go with wow. zombies. Yeah. That's incredibly personal. Budge, what do you think? <laughs> I just want to say, Joe, I think I'd take your grandparents when it comes to fighting zombies, the ones either from rural Mississippi or North Alabama. I feel like they, they, they're they the ones that would really take on those zombies. <laughs> um, I, think, I think zombies is the best answer to this question, but just I also think, you know, you, you let me catch this merman wants to catch these hands. Outside of the water, let's go. I got you. Particularly yeah. that one. It's very it slow. Fun. It's slow. Well, it's it's good to recognize that Budge Husky has lightning in his fist. So anything that's water related, Budge Husky can absolutely murder. All right. And so we has Joe has zombie dream. Training. We're gonna spend a, a few more times. We got one, two more questions. Ooh, a bug, a cat, and a person. So at the end of the movie. Dana has to make a choice whether to kill her friend to possibly save the world or to just die with him. The question is, would you have pulled the trigger and killed your friend? And if not, how far would you have gone in terms of like what's what's the length you have gone to have saved the world? So like obviously would you have killed a bug? Yeah, you've stepped on a bug. Would you have killed a cat? Maybe not. Would you have killed a dog? I don't know. Would you have killed a cow? Who knows? No, what would you do? In, in the end of the world, would you actually kill somebody, or what would you do? Oof, that's a tough one, man. I don't know. Like, why? It, 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 like, it also depends on like what, what's the scenario? Like, in what, in what situation am I killing my friend to save the world? Like, is it somebody who has like his finger well, on the well, button? Uh, let's like let's give in the context device? of this movie. Let's give in the context of this movie that you. So let's seen say you're saying there's like, there's like an ancient demon and the ancient yeah. Well, demon we don't like, know. I like need your friend's blood, or I'm gonna destroy. Yeah, the world. within this past hour, you've seen all your friends die and blah 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 blah, blah and like you've gotten impressed with this sort of knowledge, oh, man. I, and maybe, I know it's like, impossible to answer, but let's just give it. Yeah. Give no, it, I mean, maybe. how about this? How about this, though? Maybe I'll I, I'll do the trophy thing. What if I can like 
sacrifice myself instead of killing someone. Like, oh, take me instead, Dale. Very selfless. Oh, oh. I'll, no, I'll yeah. tell you what, though. I'm actually, I'm, I'm you, on you, you announced like Michael Scott in the office. You go, I'm a virgin. Yeah. No, actually, my, I'll tell you what I'm betting on. When I say that, I said, like, oh, take me instead. I'm betting on the fact that, you know, sometimes when somebody does that in a movie, that ends up being like the thing that you got to do in order to defeat the monster. Oh, you, I, all that needed to be, the curse needed to be broken was for someone to do a selfless act and yeah. that vanquished the monster and then you end up being alive. So it's just like, I'm just going to go for that play. And if yeah. it doesn't work, yeah, whatever. <laughs> high risk, uh, high reward. Preston, what would you do in terms of like, w- would you have killed your friend to save the world? Or what What stakes would you have taken in terms of gradually, where would you have gone left? I heard you mention like a bug or a dog or a yeah cat. obviously everyone would step like, on a bug to save the world but would you like kill a cat would you kill a dog would you kill a little bit like steps up i'd probably how, kill how i'd probably that? kill a person before i kill a dog to be quite yeah honest. just a random person yeah <laughs> uh i mean if you know if i'm trying to put myself in that moment i i feel like if i if that was it if i wanted to like really stay alive like i guess you, you got to take out the the uh stoner fool there at the end yeah but, you gotta pull the trigger joe um, what do you think it's just a tough one. <laughs> to get pretty specific in this film, uh, the the chick really didn't even know the stoner guy that well, other than they, they made out freshman year or something. Yeah, like. he was like the brother. He was like the stoner brother of one of her friends. Yeah. Yeah, I would have, uh, dude, that guy would have been smoked. <laughs> <laughs> From around campus every now and then, there's no way. Yeah. Hey, no, one thing I, we didn't talk about is, is how uh, it's kind of a, a small part but it's uh basically weed saves lives kind of moment where they're talking yeah. about they've had so much issues with the stoner guy because the weed he's smoking is like killing all the fair counteracts the counteracts the thing yeah yeah just answer the question myself i would end that guy quickly but what do you think you know if the stakes are as they are in the film you know, save humanity or kill the guy. I mean, I'm I'm a firm believer in American exceptionalism, and I believe in you know humanity. So that motherfucker's catching these hands too. <laughs> Absolutely, bullet straight to his forehead. All right, so we got one more question. We'll move on to the ratings here. Let the wheel spin. Oh my God! So we got pick your career number five. If you had to work for this fictional agency that handles monsters and stages these like ritual sacrifices, which job would you want? Would you want to recruit the kids? Would you want like to be one of the directors like we saw? Would you want to like work in maintenance? Would you want to work in like the monster handling? No, in this agency that we saw, who who would you want to be? Oh, I definitely want to be one of the director guys. I like I thought. That was so much that 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 seemed like so much fun. Like the idea of of uh, of having. Do you all think you could stuff. actually be one of those people that's so like antipathetic that like just or like whatever? I'm sorry. That, I'm yeah, I mean, you're words. right that that would be that would be the hard part. Like I I just find the idea of controlling all of these little elements. It kind of reminds, <laughs> uh, reminds me of uh, of uh, the Truman Show. You know, of how yeah. like, the control room and the Truman shows like of Truman's world. I kind of like that. It was just like, uh, make it daylight. Hello over here. So, so you're happy with being like responsible in a sense. You, I see like, what if you, you have mean. to do it. That's a good point. Are you, 
so you're saying like I should be like, oh, I want to be the security guard at the entrance. Yeah, who like who, does, who has who has white yeah, glove, right? Like cafeteria. Like, yeah, I want to be yeah. the cook. <laughs> be the intern. Yeah, <laughs> but what do you think? What would you I do? I want to be their social media guy. I don't yes. think they have. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> get some good images there. <laughs> but like hashtag you to, werewolf. If you had to work yeah. for these people, where would you work? Well, one of the things I thought was kind of interesting was I was never clear if, like, upstairs or downstairs when they kept getting calls was, like, more important, right? You know, they were like, oh, we got a call from upstairs, and they got a call from downstairs, and I was very... And where is upstairs? Because they're yeah, way like, down there. Kind of clear. Right, right. So it's hard to say, like, who is in charge upstairs or downstairs, but I think I think I personally would like to play, like, what is, like, be the actor who, like, plays the guys when they roll up, like, at the gas station. You, you want to be the creepy oh, yeah, gas station guy? Like, play a role player somewhere the in the area. Uh, an area. Yeah. Doom. You're, you're Mordecai. By the way, the Mordecai. upstairs, Mordecai. downstairs thing is a great reference to The Office, the British version, but sorry. Uh, <laughs> go, ahead, go ahead, Preston. Who would you want to be in this situation if you had to have a career in this environment? Um, yeah, that's tough. Uh, <laughs> What what was the what did the woman do who was up there? She always had like a notepad. I don't know. She was kind of like quality she was in, control. No, she was in she was in uh, in not chemistry. What's it called? Because um, they were saying in the beginning. Because in the beginning they were like she says something like, "Oh, everybody failed except for Japan." And he says, "Oh, it doesn't matter. We only fell once in back in '88." And who 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 is that? Is that the chemistry department? And, and what what department are you in again? Oh like yeah, he, yeah. He's trying to like it's like interdepartmental rivalry or whatever. I think yeah. he's in. It's not chemistry though. It's like uh, I can't remember. It's something. They're in charge of the far. It's a pharmacology or something like that. They're yeah. Okay. Doing all the pheromones. Well, the, yeah. Doing all the gases that are released. Yeah. So she the basically sex, farts into gas. something and like something <laughs> releases happens. it. She's in like a. I recognized her. I just recognize her face. She's in like all of Josh Whedon's like television stuff. Oh I god! Hurt so Josh Whedon's trying to sexually harass her. So go ahead, Preston. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I think it's maybe. I guess maybe the director. That you can just sit back and watch all the uh, everything go down, and then all you have to do is like speak over a uh, loudspeaker and <laughs> tell. <laughs> you know, I'm, I certainly wouldn't. I know, like the ones I don't want to be, and that would be like the uh, the guys going down by the. With the machine guns by the elevators. Right? <laughs> uh, Absolutely, I think. I don't. It, yeah. Distance yourself hard. as much as possible, Joe. Can I be the ancient think? ones? Can I yeah. Be what would you? What would you want to be in that situation? I feel like you want to be CEO. You know, I there was the part of the uh, when they're, everyone's placing their bets, and one of the dudes hands his slip of paper up, and um, Hadley goes, "I'm not even sure if they have one of those," and the, the guy. <laughs> my ass the way that they have this i think i want to be in the zoology department because you would see a bunch of like really cool beasts and creatures and shit like you know the king kong the werewolf and all that stuff so i think like procuring the beasts to eat people would be pretty cool I, i'm changing to that that sounds fun are we creating beasts or procuring beasts that's that's the thing that i kind of want to ask so like I are they understand. are they making these people or are they like or are they actually sort of just gathering them Maybe that's a question that's almost like too difficult to answer. So we can sort of move on. Um, we're going to move on to our favorite, or not favorite. We're going to move on to our rankings in terms of um, plot. So, Noam, this was your movie. In terms of plot, we do these things out of 25. At the end, we're going to rank them out of 100. So out of 25, what would you rank this movie? 
so are, am I just ranking the story of this movie now? Yeah, just the story plot wise. What would you think? Um, I think so. It's it's hard to score it because the story is very cliche. But that's the point. I'm actually going to give this high marks because what it did was it took a cliche story and like built a story around it. Yeah. And so and so I actually think it deserves like bonus points for making something interesting out of something boring, essentially, like deliberately taking something you've seen a million times before and like making it interesting again. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I'm not a score guy, but like, let's just say I give it 20. I give it full marks for story. 25. 25 for Noam. Preston. Plot. <laughs> I, I'm right there with him. That was my like favorite part of this entire movie. It's just, yeah, you've got the cliches, but what they, they turn it into like something completely uh, unexpected. Very unique and uh, yeah, twenty five. All right, Budge, what do you think? Uh, I, I I definitely thought this was probably one of its strongest suits, but at the same time, it's kind of like what we said—we weren't really sure what this movie where where it falls in the genre. So I think that's the only t- where I take some points off. So in that sense, I'm going to go with twenty. Twenty. All right, Joe, what do you think plot wise? Plot wise, I'm going to go twenty three for the originality, and it gave you a little bit of everything: comedy, thriller, action, horror. So it was a well-rounded film. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I'm always like dubious on giving someone a total 25 because that's just me. But this was, I, I really enjoyed just the whole meta reference, uh, not reference is the wrong word, but the meta aspect to it in terms of it's a comedy, it's a satire, it's uh blah, blah, blah. It, it was a great movie and like it never, never left me wanting. So I'm giving it a 24. All right, so what we're going to do, we're going to move on to our characters. Noam, what do you think about the characters? Because they were deliberately sort of cliche, but at the same time they weren't. What do you think? Actually, I I actually think it, they could have been better, even despite being cliche. I, I, I did uh, like the office, the two office guys the most out of all of the characters, and so I... I do think they could have gone with better like mains, you know, for like the the people in the house. Uh, so uh, I would say uh, I'll give it like let's let's go with like a like a fifteen on it. Oh, fifteen. All right. So, yeah. Um. All right. So Preston, out twenty five. What do you think? Um. <clears throat> yeah, I think like the main uh, characters you know, that played those cliches, athlete, the virgin's car, all that stuff. <laughs> um, they weren't exactly, you know, exhilarating or thrilling. Um, I thought Marty, you know, he was probably the funniest and brought like a little bit, a little bit more reality, but I guess that's because the pheromones were not working. Um, but uh, I, I now I think, yeah, Stephen or Bradley Whitburn, Richard Jenkins uh, were great. I, I honestly would have liked to have seen a little bit more Scorny Weaver. I guess she, um, you know, maybe she costs too much for this. But, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the characters were fine. Nothing too great. I gave it a 21. Uh, Joseph, what do you think characters, Cat in the Woods? I'm a little bit with no. Oh. I think that they were the character development was a little bit shallow. You really didn't get anything out of it other than what their superficial titles were. They, you know, they served their purpose. So I'm going to go uh, Peyton Manning, 18. Uh, no, you seen that's what to say, Bonds. but like, what was it the point to have them being shallow and almost understood? Well, no, I know, but I'm saying like, despite that, like, I just didn't like, I, I wasn't in love with like who they cast in it and stuff. I'm, yeah, I'm saying like, 
like the stoner just could have been a better stoner than like, <laughs> this specific guy. I'm not. I'm just saying like. You're yeah. right. It's not. I'm not bothered that there was a stoner and a jock, and that, that like that's not the thing that bothers me about it. It's just that I didn't love who they had in it doing that stuff. It's like, has this guy actually really smoked weed before? <laughs> yeah, the voice. The voice was not a great. Yeah, absolutely. It was just a little too. Yeah, he was just a little too screech. He was very Ooh, cliche. Shaggy like dude. Screech. I Go haven't ahead. seen him anything else. Yeah, uh, he's a, in some other probably stuff. a reason. Go ahead, Budge. What do you think, character-wise? Uh, uh, you know, I maybe get a little better than that. I, I liked Chris Hemsworth in the movie. I kind of thought his character had a little more depth in the beginning, and, and I thought sure. they, they kind of all did. So, so I'll, I'll give round that one back all to the 20. You know, I, I really didn't mind the characters too much. I, like, I actually enjoyed the fact that they were so cliche. So I'm going to give it a 22. All right, so we're going to move on to acting, which is almost the same as characters, but a little bit different. What do you think about the acting, Gnome? Out of 25, go for it. Um, I, I, I sort of, I'd say along, along similar lines, some of the, some of the mains are just like, meh, for me. But, but um, it was bet it's, I would say better overall than my previous impression. So I will go with a 20. All right, Preston, acting. Yeah, I mean, again, it wasn't like the greatest casting. I mean, you had some big names, I guess, but, uh, um, I, I think for me, it, it, it just still goes back to Hadley and, uh, Sitterson. I just thought they were just great characters and a lot of fun. And those are great actors as well. So, uh, I give it a 22. All right. Joseph acting wise, what do you think? Uh, you know, I don't think that Hemsworth guy could act his way out of a wet paper bag. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like 19. 19. <laughs> what do you think, uh, Budge? Uh, I you know what, what is the next one score? Yeah, the next one's gonna be yeah, score. So we're gonna do music I, next. I uh, I I thought the acting was was perfectly fine. I, you know, again, I, I knock off a couple points for the um for the for the stoner guy, but I I like Chris Hemsworth. Um, I I kind of laughed at all like the sort of Josh Whedon, you know, not so like groupies, but kind of cast. You know, I got a good chuckle out of all of them. I think the the main girl Dana or whatever, she probably wasn't. I didn't. She didn't really really impress me. Uh, but I, I'll give it a uh, I'll give it another twenty. Yeah, to be honest, I really didn't mind acting this at all. So I, I'm honestly giving it twenty two. So we're gonna move on to the music, a score. What do you think, Noam? Do you think the music is accentuated the movie? Do you think it like played down to the movie, or do you think it actually? It was. Uh, I mean, you know, it was like again, it was sort of perfectly serviceable, and also to a certain extent, like played with you know tropes at least, in, you know, uh, for the the. The parts where it was required, um, I don't know. Like I thought it was, it was, it was good, but not. I don't know. Like I'm, 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 I'm trying to think if, if like I know at some point I thought to myself like, oh my god, this score is amazing. <laughs> I don't think I did, but no, but like I think the a, point of it was to be cliche. To be honest, there, and there's there's so many different schools. Like there are times when a transparent when a transparent score. Is something that's more important where like you said you're feeling the emotions and your your conscious brain isn't even like realizing that the reason you are is the music like right. we were talking about jaws right i actually went to hear the national symphony orchestra play the music of john williams and they played the theme to jaws and so you listen you watch an orchestra playing it and so listening to it out of context like that you're like wait what is this 
what about these instruments means shark? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's nothing about it means shark or scary, really. It's kind of random. Like I said, I was just listening to the music just as music for the first time in that moment. And I was just like, this is so crazy. Because, like, when you hear it in the movie, you're like, oh, no, shark, scary. And you're like, wait, why? Why does this music mean that? And so sometimes that's what you mean. You just, like, you're feeling an emotion and you, you don't even realize that, like, the music's kind of pushing you in that direction. So, yeah, I don't know. But, again, scoring stuff is so hard for me. I don't know. I don't know. Let's go 17. Ooh, God. Dude, no, I'm so harsh. Really? Is that hard? I'm usually – I usually overscore things. And, like, 1 to 25, if this were 1 to 10, like, my scores would be, like, closer to the 10. <laughs> it's, like, hard. Like, I don't I'm know. Not, I'm, I'm not, like, making fun 1 of to 17. <laughs> what do you think, Preston? Um – yeah, I mean, I think, I think the uh, music played its its role. I think it was you know supposed to play kind of to the different genres or themes of the film. Certainly, creating suspense as you know what happens in horror films. Um, you know, for me, the uh, inclusion of Ario Speedwagon's "Roll with the Changes" really <laughs> that that really saved it for me. There, I, I thought uh, <laughs> it was. I think that was the tequila is my lady part, basically. Um, and uh, it was just kind of a funny scene to to have a seventies like rock anthem there when they're celebrating. Um, probably had some undertones <laughs> as well to the to the general plot. But uh, yeah, I'm just gonna give it a twenty one. It wasn't too spectacular, but I think it it it, it worked well with the film. All right, yeah, Joe Ray. The composer for this movie, by the way, was the guy who composed Christopher Nolan movies before. Hans yeah. Composed Christopher oh really? David yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, and he's he done. Did, he did his first like four films. I think following Memento, he did The Prestige, he did Insomnia. But then like Batman came along, and then Hans Zimmer was like, "He's mine." Yeah. <laughs> Move away, little man. He's done some horror films. He's too, the so. is mine forever. By the way, I, I don't really like love Hans Zimmer, but like the "You're So Cool" like little xylophone thing in um, True Romance, I will forever love Hans Zimmer for that. Um, Joe, what do you think about the the score for this? What are you giving it? You know, I think you guys hit a lot of the main points there. Um, so I'm going to make mine quick and say a 21, too. 21? Budge, what do you think? Uh, I think, like, you, if you take it into context of, like, a horror movie, in which I think the score is super important, um, it's kind of like what Preston was saying with Jaws and other things like that, then I think it's a weak point because I didn't really notice it. So, in that sense, I'm going 15. 15? <laughs> I, I did notice it. For instance, but I also noticed that it was like kind of cliche in the sense I almost feel like they replicated some like very, very, I, I should say relative. Like Spotify almost like, algorithm. Yeah, almost like relative. Uh, yeah, like uh, actual cliche sort of moments or whatever. So I'm going to give it a 20 because it like it felt natural, but at the same time, it felt repetitive at the same time. Um, so that's going to be it. So we, we wrapped up our ratings of the cabin in the woods. We really want to thank Noam for joining us. Uh, I really, 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 really appreciate you joining us. What we're going to do next week is we're going to move on to scream. Um, any, any last thoughts, anything that you want to say before we move on? Fudge, Preston, uh, Joe, Noam. Thanks for coming on, Noam. We really appreciate it, man. Yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah. This, was, this was really fun. And yeah, like uh, like I said, if, if people haven't watched and like still want to watch it even after being so thoroughly spoiled, uh, it's just a really fun catch-all like Halloween movie. I think like and it's 
I would say it's also like a good horror movie for people who are like not into horror movies. And you can yeah, like, no, no. And so like if your friend, like if your friend's like, oh, I hate horror movies, it's like, <laughs> nah, this will be fun. Trust me. It's yeah. more like it's more like having fun at the expense of horror movies. I couldn't agree more. I've been also been pushing for us to do a uh, Alien versus Aliens <laughs> uh, movie Ooh, pod. Nice. We might have to invite you back because you seem like yeah. quite the expert. Totally different. Though. If you ever want to come back, I will flood your DMs or whatever on Twitter because you're, <laughs> you're, you're fantastic and we, we really, really appreciate it. Listen.